Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here again today with Chris and... Oh, you gonna say something? You know, (laughs) I was. (laughs) Hey everybody! Uh, you missed it. Uh, two days ago, Amber was just like, she just cut right in and did the whole intro on her own. Oh. She just like threw me out. Wow. I was like, hey, oh, fine. Raising up disciples. Hey. Ambition. Um, so we're looking at Acts 14. Then we jump into Galatians. What's up with that? Well, uh, we've got basically the, the church in Antioch kind of confirming the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, this is right after they came back from their first missionary journey. Uh, and then we jump into a letter that Paul writes back to these churches that they visited. So Paul was in Antioch for a little bit of time, but he writes this letter because he's starting to get reports from the churches that they just planted in places like Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, that there's some influences going on, that people are being led astray. In fact, right in the beginning of Galatians, Paul says hello, and then he's like, I am shocked that you are turning away from Christ. Like he doesn't, he usually takes a lot more buildup. But this is like there's an urgency in He's this. He's going for him. Uh, that there is something that people are twisting the truth of God back in these churches that he plants. And so, if you remember, there were a group of Jews that came in and kind of stirred up the crowds, and they ended up stoning Paul in these places. And so, these people were continuing to work against the message of the gospel that Paul had shared. And what they were really doing is they were actually saying, you know, you can keep that Jesus thing, but you still got to do a bunch of the Jewish stuff. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law. And so this whole letter that Paul writes to the Galatians is a response about them wanting to add those works back and say the requirements for Christianity. And, and Paul would use some pretty strong language basically saying, this is a different gospel. This isn't even the same thing. So if you get a sense of urgency in Galatians, it's because Paul's like, he's pretty fired up. Um, and in some ways, I think this is the letter we see Paul the most angry I'm just glad we don't add things to the gospel anymore. It's a good thing we don't do that. Yeah. I mean, this, in case you don't pick up the sarcasm there. Uh, Why are you always adding these editorial comments? <laughs> for our sarcastically challenged viewers that don't pick up on it. See, I worked in Africa for a long time, and Africans don't get sarcasm. Really? So I actually I got myself in trouble because they would take me seriously when I was sarcastic. Oh. So maybe it's still PTSD. Sorry about that, guys. Okay. So anyway... If you uh, are sarcastically challenged, you'll thank me. It might be my spiritual gift. Um, okay, I, um, I, there's this little piece in Galatians um, that you'll you'll breeze right over it if you don't notice it, um, because it seems pretty not important to be honest. But this is Galatians uh, one uh, seventeen. Uh, so Paul's kind of making the case of like who he is and what his sort of spiritual pedigree is, I guess. Like very likely because the false teachers were tearing him down. Yeah, they were probably slandering him, saying, "Who is this guy you're listening to? Listen to us." So Galatians one seventeen says, uh, "Well, how about we'll, we'll just back up a little bit earlier. We'll start halfway through sixteen. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead." I went away into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. So this seems like just, you know, city by city narrative. Um, But what he's doing is saying like, hey, this is how I became an apostle. 
Um, and what he includes in this description is some period of time in Arabia. There's a little bit of debate about how long that period of time is. Um, I like to think it's it's quite a bit of time. Um, so the question is, why is that important and why was he there? Yeah, and, and we really don't know what happened there. But what we know about Paul is Jesus appeared to him. Mm-hmm. And that's how he was converted. But we also know that Paul was a Pharisee, so he would have had the entirety of the Old Testament mm-hmm. to go back on. So what potentially could have happened during that time? I think Paul went to school. I think Paul went to school. Um, and I think the the reason that's important to me is that, you know, obviously you can come to faith in Jesus and you can have an impact on the people around you. But a lot of times what people believe about Paul is that Jesus showed up to him and he just like went right at it. Like, he saw Jesus, he was like, cool, I'm going to teach people the gospel, and he just jumped on a boat and went city to city and preached the gospel. That's not actually a great picture of what Paul's ministry was like. Paul actually included in his ministry a prolonged period of learning, um, because he was not actually, in fact, prepared to preach the gospel until he had learned more about what the gospel was. Um, So I, I appreciate this a lot, because I think it makes the case for intentional learning before taking on a role that is teaching focused. Um, and I think I mean, this is one of those blink and you'll miss it things. And I would even say in continual learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, that, uh, I mean, seriously, Paul had the, the Pentateuch memorized. So That's the thing. It's like, this what guy did he was need to learn? so far ahead of everybody else, but yet to see how all those things were fulfilled in Christ mm-hmm. and how that was then the foundation for the gospel that he was going to preach, that, that did take some time. Yeah. Even for a smart guy. So it wasn't Paul. like, boom, Holy Spirit, go. Yeah. It was like, hey, let's learn some stuff. So the other thing that I think is interesting here in Galatians, we've got a little bit of a uh, confrontation that is described between Paul I like that you call it a Peter. little bit of a yeah. confrontation. Imagine this happening in real life at a real party. <laughs> the, the two big wigs of the gospel going at it. Um, There's a little bit of tension. You yeah. thought, you thought uh, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill was full of tension? <laughs> Look at this. So anyway, what we see, though, is so Paul ends up confronting Peter because he's he's basically, he used to eat with the Gentiles after he got the revelation mm-hmm. that we read about a few days ago, back in Acts 11, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And now when kind of his Jewish buddies come around, there's starting to be some peer pressure and Peter starts pulling back from that and actually stops doing something that God had clearly told him he should do. And really, it's not so much about eating. It's like basically what this was is it was a, a statement that you have to be a certain cultural to be a Christian. And so God showed Peter that you don't have to be Jewish to be Christian. You can eat with the Gentiles. That's not a problem. They, you know, they don't have to be circumcised, all these things. But when he got back around his, his buddies, the peer pressure got up and Paul kind of started treating these Gentile believers like second class citizens. Peter. Yes. Sorry. Uh, and I just think it's so interesting because like he had this supernatural vision of God telling him that everything's good, they they can do this, but it took time for this to flesh out in Peter's life. And, you know, some of these cultural patterns or or historical things that we believe, like, we don't just flip a switch and they change. So, Paul needed to get in his face and say, hey, this isn't right. In front um, of everybody. Yeah. It was... So, it, it, there is a number of things like, you know, some of those things that are just deep-seated parts of who we are, even if we get a revelation that maybe the gospel should change that. Sometimes we need like a continued revelation. Uh, and we have to be probably also be careful of what kind of things peer pressure wise are pulling us back into something that's culturally appropriate, but not gospel appropriate. Uh, that peer pressure wise stuff is sneaky. It is. It's just like, oh man, this feels good. This feels comfortable. This is what I'm used to. This is what I know. 
And before you know it, Paul's screaming at you about how fake you are. So anyway, Peter, you know, he is the he is the great hope hope for all of us that you know have a slow road to change. I think Peter's your favorite. That's what I think. So good stuff, guys. All right, hey, we'll be back tomorrow. We're gonna we're gonna actually round out all of Galatians uh, before we dive back into Acts. So the way that the uh, NLT, the way that the editor of this chronological Bible is doing this is kind of tacking in the letters as we go on the journey. So um, we've done a little bit of that kind of stuff where we're reading different books at different times, but that's what we're up to. So we'll see you again tomorrow. Bye. Acts 14, starting in verse 21. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in their faith, reminding them that they must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Then they traveled back through Pisidia to Pamphylia. They preached the word in Perga and then went down to Attilia. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work that they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported any, everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed here with the believers for a long time. Galatians 1, 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending the letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from evil in the world which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who are deliberately twisting the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one preached to you. I say again that we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you have welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval for people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. You know what it was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm saying and writing is not a lie. 
After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Sicilia, and still the churches of Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you, and the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle of the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I always have been eager to do. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of the law, I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements, so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. 
You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it's not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to the time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ will share the same blessing as Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe, and that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child, and notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. This is what I am trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of his accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.